So it turns out the last time Easter fell on April Fool's Day was in 1956 when I was three years old. Honestly, there's a kind of uh, ironic symmetry to that coupling. From the atheist perspective, this makes for an obvious joke. Hey, did you hear that Jesus rose from the dead? Really? (laughs) Just kidding, April Fool's. As though billions of people for two millennia have been duped into believing an otherwise preposterous proposition. Think of the scale of such, of such a joke. It boggles the mind. If such were the case, consider the folly of a place like this and all the effort that's gone into our preparation this morning. Either we've been stupidly bamboozled or brainwashed or something else entirely is going on. So I'm thinking that starting with the April Fool's joke properly sets the context for asking just what is it that we think we're doing here today? In a book entitled The Quest for Beauty, the famous 20th century psychologist Rollo May recalled scenes from his lifelong search for beauty. Among them was a visit to Mount Athos, that famous peninsula of monasteries attached to Greece. He was recovering from a recent nervous breakdown, and one morning he stumbled upon the celebration of Greek Orthodox Easter, the tail end of a church service that had been proceeding all night long. The ceremony was thick with symbolism, thick with beauty. Icons were everywhere, incense hung in the air. The only light came from candles. And at the height of that service, the priest gave everyone present there three eggs, wonderfully decorated and wrapped in a veil. Christos Anesti, he said, Christ is risen. And each person there, including May, responded according to custom. He is risen indeed. Now, May was not a believer, but he reported being seized then by a moment of spiritual reality. What would it mean for the world if he had truly risen? Now, if it were within my power this morning, I would create the same context that gave rise to May's inspired spiritual clarity. One of those rare moments that uh, each, that catch us by surprise when all of our spiritual senses are on fire. All there is for the moment is the haunting, transcendent, mystical question. But, you know, for all of the Byzantine architecture here, the mosaics and iconography of this space, it isn't Mount Athos, and likely you haven't been on a conscious lifelong quest for beauty. At least I'm guessing that's the case. And I should tell you now that I'm not going to be handing you three beautifully decorated Easter eggs either. You know, we're sitting just off a bustling sidewalk in New York City and be... and you know well what it's like out there. 
the set location for Law and Order Special Victims Unit. No doubt there are visitors here today who've come to the city for all of the diversions and distractions that provide its drive and pulse. On Mount Athos, beyond the dramatic setting, church is pretty much all there is. Rollo May was part of a captive audience on that special day. Still, I would do everything in my power to have you consider the question. You haven't forgotten it yet, have you? What would it mean for our world if he had truly risen? Now, we don't have much time for conversation this morning, and I know that when you leave here today, the culture out there isn't particularly hospitable to the sorts of things we say and do in here. Monks and penitents and pilgrims on a quest for beauty will not immediately surround you as soon as you walk through these doors. It won't be outright hostile out there, just indifferent to what goes on in here, majorly indifferent. So, since we have just a short time, I'll ask the question again. What does it mean if Jesus is truly risen? The middle-aged man came to tell me his story. Not long ago, he had been stuck in a loop of anger and regret and depression. He could not let go of his past. Over the last decade or so, the memories of his uncle's abuse had clarified. He had found a compassionate counselor who helped him organize his life better. And though he had become quite successful by his reckoning, he said he had amassed a small fortune. He could not let go of the pain and humiliation. But his real issue was this. That had all happened 30 years ago. Only in recent years had he awakened to the fact that for the past decades he had lived with his uncle smack in the middle of his life and this relentless focus had kept him wound up in resentment and bitterness day after day after day. Then one year he walked into this particular Byzantine sanctuary on Easter and he heard a word that confronted him personally and directly. And the word he heard concerned the person he was becoming. Or, or another way to say it, he experienced a shocking, what was for him a shocking and overwhelming sense of hope for the future. And surprised by a rare moment of spiritual clarity, he realized that he could not heal his past. That was gone. What he could do was reclaim his future through the power of forgiveness. Forgiveness was a tool of hope. Hope was the fruit of resurrection. It dawned on him that if Christ is truly raised, he could be too. It clicked into place for the very first time in his life. Resurrection was a present reality as well as a future hope. He was shocked and awed and he reported to me that he wept through the rest of the day. And then he added that his tears were complicated. On the one hand, they were tears of grief for the abuse and loss of innocence, but they were also 
tears of liberation and joy because he was ready to be released from his addictive bondage to his past. His anger and resentment had come to fashion his identity and he was ready to let it all go. He was ready to release his uncle into the hands of God. He couldn't change his past, but he could release its hold on his present and future. That's what he came to tell me. And then he added, you know, I feel a thousand pounds lighter. I needed to tell someone who might understand. Now, I don't know your individual stories, of course, but I do know that whatever they are, they fall well within the range of human striving and all of the permutations of success and failure. You've likely been both victim and perpetrator at one time or another in the course of your life. But there is nothing that could be reported by anyone here that falls beyond the range of redemptive hope. That's because if Jesus truly is raised, he has nail prints in his hands still. The archetypal victim, put to death on a trumped-up charge, abandoned by his friends. This sorry loser is the one that is raised. Consider Jesus' friend, Peter the Rock, his right-hand man. He is the one who, at the arrest of Jesus, denied he ever knew him. When he rushed to the tomb, he couldn't leave his cowardice and betrayal home with his fishing nets. It came right along with him as he ran to see for himself. And when the impossible truth finally dawned, Peter got his future back because if Jesus had truly been raised, then the world was fashioned far more wonderfully, mystically, than he could possibly have imagined. And discovering he had been raised with Christ, forgiven and restored, along with his friends, he would seek the things that are above. That's how Paul would end up phrasing it. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. And I would say to you, friends, even Judas, if he hadn't short-circuited his options, would have retrieved his future and been empowered to set his sights on the things above. How do I know this? Well, because from the cross of death, Jesus was heard to say this prayer. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. If Jesus is raised, that prayer takes on cosmic significance. If Jesus is raised, this same energy can show up in our lives. That's the inevitable truth. That's what struck Rollo May on Mount Athos in a moment of spiritual clarity. If we're raised with Christ, we too wind up setting our sights on the things that are above. But now, friends, this setting of our sights has implications that initially lie very close to home. I hate to disappoint you, but the vast majority of you will not receive some exotic calling as you embrace the astonishing news of Easter that will transport you to another life. I doubt there's another Mother Teresa sitting here this morning, although, on the other hand, I wouldn't rule it out either, so be forewarned, she could be sitting next to you unawares. 
far more likely you'll discover that setting your sights on the things that are above has homely implications right where you live, right in the middle of your own mundane lives, in your personal corruptions or agonies or failures or woundedness, right smack in the middle of your confusion and uncertainty and doubt, right in the middle of all of that. That's where resurrection can rearrange your worldview. Like the man who came to tell me about the joyful liberation in power he found in this very space one Easter morning. And here I'm reminded of Martin Luther King's famous observation that he who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. There is some good in the worst of us and some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we are less prone to hate our enemies. And I would tell you that insight and wisdom emerged by King's answering Rallo May's question. What does it mean if Jesus is raised? And that same wisdom fueled King's passion for justice, another of the remarkable outcomes if Jesus is truly raised. George Weigel calls this the Easter effect. And here's the thing. The disciples didn't get it right away, did they? They didn't understand it. Our scriptures are clear that most of them doubted. How could they not? Don't you? I don't understand it fully. After all, the disciples are like us. But they held on to the same question Rollo May heard on Mount Athos. And over time, they began to change. In particular, the way they thought about their responsibilities changed. What had happened to Jesus, they slowly began to grasp, was not just about their former teacher and friend. It was about all of them. His destiny was their destiny. It concerned their present and their future. So not only could they face opposition, scorn, and even death with confidence, they could offer to others the truth and the fellowship they had been given as a gift. they could experience in their own mundane lives that they were loved and cherished beyond their wildest imaginings and that this same love extended to everyone, everywhere. Which truth, I tell you, continues to upend the world to our present time? April Fools, indeed.